Well, good morning, everyone. If you find it convenient, would you please stand for our opening song? Let's sing together. We will glorify. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will
morning, church. Everybody looks an hour more rested than they did yesterday. Isn't that funny how that is? Good to see you this morning. What a beautiful day to come together as God's people and worship our Lord. This year has been a little different than most. Is that an understatement? And yet, there's more coming this week. So, uh, In that, I just wanted to say that the elders have used a little different method than we normally do to search for additions to the eldership. And so we have come together as a group, no one-person selection, but, and talked to a man and his wife and vetted them and had lengthy discussions with them on several different occasions. And this morning we want to put him, his name in front of you today, and in two weeks we will install him officially as elder, barring any unforeseen consequences. And that is Grant and Leanne Knight. Would you stand up, Grant and Leanne? (laughs) So here is Grant. So now you know who it was. You say, well, I don't know who Grant is. Uh, Let me give you a little background on Grant. Not too much because we'll move right along. But uh, I and several other elders have known Grant most all of our lives. Uh, Grant grew up at this church. Went to Abilene Christian University, met Leanne, got married, lived a variety of places, came back to West Irwin for a time, and then left for a while and came back again. So uh, he is well known to many, many people that have been here for very long. His father, Dr. L. Roger Knight, was an elder at this church. His mother, Jan, just passed away a few years ago. So if you, I want to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and you'll have to bear with me. I'm not used to reading up here, so... Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And so... What I ask you in that regard is if you will uh, consider that scripture that I just read and the qualifications for an elder. If you have a specific biblical reason that you think that Grant cannot serve as an elder, would you contact one of the existing elders in the next week? We don't want on the 15th, the morning of the 15th, somebody coming up here and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So... We're not worried about that, but we do want to give the church an opportunity for comment just because it's the right thing to do. So if you do have an issue with that biblically, if you will contact one of our existing elders in the next week, we're we're not taking in anonymous cards. We're not taking any gossip. You need to contact an elder specifically yourself and visit with them if you have any question about that. So with that, let's go to our Heavenly Father. Dear God, we come before you this morning as your church to come to 
together as a corporate church to worship you, recognizing you as our creator and the sustainer of all life, the one who is really in control. We have so many in our church family, dear God, that have become sick over the past few weeks, and we are so thankful that they have recovered. Yet we have other family members, other members of our church who have had family members who have not. We pray your blessings upon them, and we pray your comfort and peace upon them as well. Dear God, we know that this this life is but temporary, but how we live it determines how we spend eternity. And we see this world in which we live in this year, and, and we feel, felt a lot of loneliness this year. We felt isolation this year. Dear God, it's not just because of the virus that is throughout the world. It is because we have seen our world and our nation change dramatically. And that troubles us. We see the devil's hand as Satan works on the hearts of mankind. As they try to redetermine and redefine the definition of marriage. as they try to claim that there's not just a man or woman, but there's 30 variations in between. And it troubles us, dear God, and we do feel lonely. That's not the world that most of us were born in. But we know that the devil instills his power in the hearts of man that will let him in, and he makes, turns right into wrong and up into down and left into right and creates havoc throughout the hearts of mankind. We see that, dear God, no, no better in, in all those that would proclaim all of our law enforcement and our very Constitution a racist document. Yet at the same time, they support, promote, encourage the genocidal murder of a thousand black babies a day under the auspices of freedom of choice. The distortion Satan puts in people's minds, dear God, is very troublesome. Yet we look to you for strength and guidance and comfort and peace. But dear God, our our patience sometimes is tested with all of these bizarre things that are happening. And we know that your patience has been tested much more than ours has. But we pray for your your mercy upon our land, dear God. Because we see what your wrath looks like throughout the Bible. And it troubles us. We know where we are going when this life is over. But it troubles us in that we know also that we have work to do with your kingdom here on this earth.
we have friends and family that we need to talk to about your plan of salvation. And we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will give us the time to do that and also the courage to do that as well. Because our strength does not come through anything in this world that comes from you. Dear God, we have a, an election this week. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will never, ever put our faith, our hope, and our trust in politicians because they are, by definition, generally speaking, corrupt and liars. That we will put our faith and our hope and our trust in you and you alone. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will never even attempt to be politically correct because it is a moving target that we cannot ever catch. Instead, instill in our hearts to become godly correct. Look to your word for guidance, your word that never changes, the foundation of everything. We want to stand with you and you alone. We do pray for peace in our nation, dear Dear God, but we understand when Satan roams to and fro, seeking and searching who he can destroy and devour, that peace is hard to find. But we do pray for peace this coming week, dear God, and for the years to come for us and our children and grandchildren. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will Find, help us to find that peace, the peace beyond understanding that only comes from a diligent search and reading and studying of your word. It does not come from anything that mankind has ever created. It only comes from you. Dear God, we are your people. We are your children. We thank you for the blessings that you have given us. We pray that you will help keep us close to you. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross that enables us to both communicate with you today and also gives us the promise of salvation in heaven with you when this, this life is over. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will be faithful servants of yours until that trumpet sounds. In Jesus' name.
Each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we follow the instructions that Jesus gave as recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We remember him. We remember his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. But you know, I think uh, his request that we remember him includes remembering all of his life and all of his teachings and even includes following those teachings. And I want to bring to mind one of those teachings that Christ gave us this morning that we sometimes want to forget about. We kind of want to sweep it under the rug. It's not really one of those things that that we can get into. In fact, it's pretty hard. But in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 33, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Now, Jesus does not say compromise the truth in any respect. He doesn't say you have to agree with those that disagree with you. But he says love them. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, tells us a little bit about what that love looks like. Beginning with verse 4, he said, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We're in difficult times in our country, and there are a lot of issues that arouse strong emotions. But, you know, we need to be, as Christians, the reflection of Christ to the rest of the world. And they need to see our temperament. We need to love our enemies. And we need to let others see that and glorify God as a result of it. That's how we honor and glorify Christ. And you know, when Christ was crucified on the cross, that was the ultimate expression of love. That's God's love for us. 
And we celebrate that every time we partake and participate in the Lord's Supper. And this morning, as we partake, let's remember all of God's teachings. Would you bow with me? Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. We're so grateful that you have blessed us with so many blessings, and we're so grateful that we can be part of your kingdom. And dear God, we thank you for loving us and giving us the chance to honor and to love you. And as we partake of the bread that represents Christ's body that was given for all, that we might have forgiveness of our sins, dear God, we pray that that we will remember and honor you as we do this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. have trouble pulling the little tab sometimes. Will you pray with me again? Father, we thank you for uh, having in your plan the redemption of man. And we thank you, Father, that it was your son that came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, that we might have forgiveness through the blood that cleanses us from all sins. Help us to always remember the great sacrifice that he made. Help us to put you and your kingdom first in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, uh, as you all know, during this time do not have the men taking collections, but we still need, the church still needs your contributions. This church is actively involved in spreading the gospel in Tyler and many parts of the world. It's also involved in helping the needy. And although God doesn't need our gifts, He has chosen to work through man and to do his work through us. So as we contribute, whether it's online, uh, in person, or whatever, let's be generous and cheerful in giving and, and helping the kingdom of God to grow. Will you pray? Father, thank you so much for letting us live in this country and letting us prosper as we do. And we pray, Father, that you will give us cheerful and glad hearts as we contribute to your work. And we just pray that you will bless those who make decisions about how that money is used, that it will bring honor and glory to your name, not only in Tyler, but around the world. We pray through Christ. Amen.
probably noticed the title of this message today, In God Do We Trust? It's a question. And in spite of the title, this message is not about the election. Okay, well, it is, sort of. But that's really not the focus and the point. It's the background. It's the application. This message is about prayer. And this message is about faith. I believe in prayer. This Sunday before Election Day comes in the midst of a sermon series I've been doing this fall um, entitled, What I Believe and Why. To give us a bit of reminder and to give us a bit of stability in unstable times and in confusing times about what, what we do believe. And as you noted from the title of the series, this title of the series is What I Believe and Why. Because I recognize that, as the Bereans did, we are all to take our Bibles home to see if what Bill is saying is so, and come up to the understanding of what each of us individually believes and why we believe that. I believe in prayer. We're thankful to uh, that in the midst of a pandemic year, in the midst of a, a very polarizing election year, Uh, that our church continues to minister, as Danny shared in that wonderful communion message, that we continue to reach out to our God and to our community and to our world in prayer and with the gospel itself. And so I am excited uh, about Grant and Leanne Knight being uh, a part of this eldership and uh, what a wonderful shepherding family that you will be because we've seen that in the way that you have lived. And what a blessing uh, they are to this church already and will be in the years ahead. Uh, And we also, you may be surprised to hear this. I hope you're not, but you might be. Uh, You may be surprised to know that every week we have a few visitors in our assembly. Uh, That's kind of great. In the midst of everything else, we have a lot of people watching online, and that's a blessing. And some of them are part of our church family and members. Others are friends or family members or just folks who hear about us from one way or another. And so welcome and, and thank you for being a part of our assembly today. That is such an important part of, of our church outreach in this 2020 year. And so we welcome you and are grateful for you and what you add to our assemblies uh, together. Uh, along with that, again, we have several in-person visitors that, that come, and we, we try to reach out to them as best we can. As you know, we're not passing the trays. We're not handing out uh, communion supplies. We're not picking up cards. But if you're a guest and would like to uh, fill out one of those cards and just leave it on the pew, uh, we would love to have a record and be able to have the opportunity to check on you and make sure that uh, there's you have everything that that you need and to thank you personally for being a part of our assemblies in person. Um, it is, um, it is a, uh, a year like no other, as Wade shared during our shepherd's prayer time. And it is certainly one that, um, that reminds us and calls us to do what we have sung about today, to worship the King, uh, to glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to practice uh, love, to love each other, 
uh, and to love others, to demonstrate that love even to our enemies. Uh, Aren't you glad that that scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, Danny, aren't you glad that that doesn't apply during an election year? Isn't it a great blessing that it doesn't apply to things we send on email or things we post on social media? Boy, what a relief that is. Yeah, I don't think that we get that, uh, get out of loving your enemies and all others free card. In fact, that's when love is, is really seen. And that's when love is is really noticeable and different. As Jesus says in that passage in Luke 6 and in Matthew 5, everybody loves their friends. (laughs) Everybody loves the, the emails and the Twitter messages and the Facebook messages and all the other stuff that they get that are from their guy, that are from their candidates, that are the, the principles that they like. But it's when we find ourselves at odds with others. And in sharp disagreement, even so much so that they would consider us their enemies, that Jesus calls us to love. And as Danny shared, he demonstrated what that looks like. That looks like getting on a cross for them, not for your friends, for your enemies. God demonstrated his love in this, Paul wrote to the Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, while we were the enemies of God sought to reconcile us with his own blood. This message is not about the election. This message is about prayer. And this message is about faith. And this message asks the question, in God, do we trust? Really? Do we? It's more than just a great motto, and I think it's a wonderful motto for a a civil nation, a secular nation. I think it's a huge blessing. We have that in our heritage and even in our present. What a blessing. But today, I'm not talking about our nation. Today, I'm not asking this question about the United States of America. And asking, in God, do we trust as a nation? I think that's an important question. But that's not my question today. I'm asking this about our church. I'm asking that about us as Christians. In God, do do we trust in God? Is that where our trust lies, in the eternal God? Is that where my trust lies? In God, do I trust? Or do I trust in something else? I believe in prayer, and therefore I trust in God and not in any candidate or any political party or the Supreme Court, as important as those all are. (laughs) My trust is firmly and deeply rooted in the eternal God. I read something someone wrote this week that, uh, that they said, I'm glad that we're getting together with other Christians either online or in person on the first day of the week to worship the eternal God so that in the middle of the week when we find out who our temporary president will be, we'll be all right. (laughs) I think that's right. This isolation and loneliness, and boy, Wade, you hit that on the head. That is exactly what we've all been feeling for a lot of reasons. 
in 2020. And so some of you may be disappointed. You saw the sermon title and you got all excited and you thought, this is great. Bill is going to tell everybody to vote for blank. (laughs) And then you put your candidate, your party in the blank. (laughs) So sorry to disappoint you, but that's not happening. That's not what this sermon is about. And though I have prayed constantly, constantly, several times each day, specifically, that is not what this sermon is about. You've been praying, I've been praying, we're all praying about this election and this country and this world and this pandemic and the future, and rightly so. But this sermon and this question, in God do we trust, is about the deeper issue. Do we trust in our political heroes and parties, or do we trust in God? Dan Bouchel, who works with Let's Start Talking Ministry, uh, wrote this recently, perhaps 2020 was just what we needed to release, finally, our illusion of control and addiction to certainty. (laughs) And boy, did he ever peg me there. (laughs) We like control. We like certainty. And what 2020 has told us is we have neither. (laughs) We have neither. We are so not in control. And there's no certainty in this world. And if that's what we require, then we're struggling. I'm a structure guy. I'm a routines guy. I'm a boring guy. I am a, a traditional guy. I'm, I like going to the same restaurants, and I like ordering the same thing every time. I like not having to think about what I'm going to wear. I like not having to think about what I'm going to order. I love that. I like not having to think about my schedule, and, and that's just the kind of guy I am, but I'm also a faith guy, and the faith guy needs to win out over all the others, and this year is a faith year. This year is not about structure. This year is not about routines. This is a faith year. Because faith is really, truly faith when our plans are all upside down. Faith is really, truly faith when we don't understand why things are going the way they're going. I believe in prayer. So as we look ahead to this difficult week and this difficult year, I want us to focus today on prayer because I believe that the answer to that question, in God, do we trust, is the same way of asking and answering this question, do I pray? Do I pray? few things about prayer this morning. First of all, we must never give up praying. Never give up praying. God answers prayer, I think, typically in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. And yes, wait is a four-letter word, W-A-I-T, and I don't like it. I don't like that answer. And I don't like no. 
as an answer. Some people just can't take no for an answer, we've heard. Some people can't take yes for an answer, we understand. But we especially don't like the answer no when it's to our prayers, to our very faithful, fervent prayers. But Jesus says we must never give up praying. And lots of uh, scriptures that are on your outline and that I'll refer to, we'll only read a couple of them. We must never give up praying. Jesus told a parable about this, this widow in Luke 18 who was being taken advantage of, and she went to this judge for justice, and he was corrupt. And he said, no, I don't care about you. You have no power. You can't do anything for me. So I really am not motivated at all to bring you the justice that you deserve, the justice that would be right. And it's not going to help me politically at all. So I don't care. So she would come to him and come to him and come to him and he would never rule for her. Until finally he said, that's it. I am so done with this. I am tired of you, lady. What is it you want? Let's get the official seal out done. Please don't come back into my courtroom. Well, God is not an unjust judge or an unjust father, but God wants us to come to him with prayer. And that is the point of the parable. Remember, parables have this milieu of information and setting and background and perhaps application, but typically they have a single point. And that's the point of this one. Never give up praying. Chapter 11, Jesus tells another story about a neighbor who had unexpected company and, and he, he hadn't been to Sam's. And so he goes next door and knocks and the guy just stays inside. He says, no, nah, no, nah, nah, don't bother me, don't bother me. And, and he keeps knocking and he says, look, we're all in bed in here. We're not getting up. Forget it. Just, you know, go down to the local 7-Eleven or something. And, and the guy says, look, I, I don't want to do this. I, I really don't want to help you. I don't certainly want to get up in the middle of the night, but because you just keep on disturbing me and knocking I'll respond again God is not that way but the message is never give up praying never give up even if you've been hearing no or wait never give up praying we read about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and it says three times three times he prayed the exact same prayer Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, yet not what I want. May your will be done. I do want us to read a couple of passages. The first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Wade shared earlier from 1 Timothy 3, one of those great passages about what it means to be a shepherd of God's people. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks a little bit about what it means to be a citizen of a secular nation. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Verse 4. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So there's a lot of other passages we can look at and talk about with this, and we shared some of them in our our class, our adult class in the Family Life Center, but this one says pray for them. Pray for them. But pray what? Pray that they'll lose the next election? Well, I'll let you decide if that's your appropriate prayer or not. 
Pray for peace, not just for the sake of peace, but pray for an environment in our nation, in our society, in our cities and communities. Pray for an environment that will be conducive to the spreading of the gospel. That's the point of the prayer. Never give up praying that prayer. And in Acts chapters 3 and 4, a couple of the apostles do a good deed and heal a man. And the Jewish leaders feel threatened, so they arrest them. And they threaten them and they say, don't you speak any longer in the name of Jesus. And they go back and they gather the church together and they pray. But that prayer at the end of Acts chapter 4 is just amazing because they don't pray for protection. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for their own physical and emotional well-being. Maybe they did and Luke just chose not to record it. But what he does record is this. Help your people to speak and to speak boldly in the midst of the threat. Paul says pray for peace, but I'm, I'm sure and certain that at times God feels like, well, actually what my church needs is not peace. What my church needs is crisis. We see that all over the world in places where the gospel and the word of God is thriving. In places where they're doing that under threat. We must never give up praying. In Acts chapter 12, Herod arrests James, the brother of John. You know those sons of Zebedee? Well, one of them, James, is put to death by Herod in Acts 12. First apostle killed for the faith. So the book of James is not written by the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, but it's written by the half-brother of Jesus. He takes over as a, a leader in the church in Jerusalem, as Acts demonstrates. But James, the brother of John, is put to death in Acts 12. And then Peter is arrested because it went so well for Herod. And and so the church is praying. They're praying for Peter to be released. And I believe, even though Luke doesn't record it, I believe strongly that the church gathered together and was praying for James. And yet he was put to death. Why is that? Was Peter more faithful? Was the church more fervent in praying for Peter than for James? Well, you might say, well, they were really more motivated for Peter because they'd already seen James killed, and that could be true. But this is the church that had already seen Jesus killed. They didn't have a problem with wondering if they would carry this out or not. They had seen it. We must never give up praying. And then there's that passage of scripture that is hard to apply, but it's found in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. It's a very famous passage. You may have it uh, on a plaque or something in your home. It's one that you probably have marked. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so this is written during the time of the theocracy of the Old Testament law. King Solomon, the son of David, was on the throne and he had built the the temple that David so much wanted to build. And now it was time to dedicate it. And Solomon has these glorious prayers of dedication for this temple. And he also has some words of of encouragement and exhortation to his people. And this is one of those. And God comes to him and he says, look, 
This is a good thing, and, and I want you to know that I'm always going to listen to the prayers of my people, but if you get away from me and from my will, it will not go well for you. And if during that time you come back to me, then I will hear and I will heal, but we have to remember that this passage of Scripture is in the context of the Old Testament theocracy. The law of Moses was their civil law as well. They were the people of God. They were the chosen nation. The United States of America is not the chosen nation. It is not. And if Jesus decides that he's not going to come back, if the Father doesn't send him back, then very likely sometime in the years or centuries down the line, this nation will cease to exist. But guess what? The church, the chosen nation of God, will continue to exist. Wherever that is, whatever that looks like, there will be people who will be going by the Bible and seeking to worship and serve the Lord and to love their neighbor as themselves. We must never give up praying, including praying for our nation. I've been doing so much of that as you have too, and we will almost constantly in the days ahead, as well we should. But we do that with the understanding of a couple of things that we'll share in just a few moments that come from Jesus' prayer in the garden and his time on the cross. And so this morning, I appreciate Michael, you singing, leading those songs. I've asked Michael to lead a couple of songs in particular that are basically prayer songs, and they're prayer songs for our nation, and rightly so. America, America, God mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. America, America, may God thy gold refine till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That is what we want for our nation and we pray for it. We'll close our service today with a prayer song. God bless America. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. That's what we pray for our nation, and rightly so. We must never give up praying. Secondly today, sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no. Jesus in the garden in Mark 14, the answer to the prayer of the Son of God was no. Paul requested God to relieve him of the thorn in the flesh, and the answer was no. Paul and Silas and Timothy were on Paul's second mission journey, and they were trying to go a certain way. They were trying to go in what we would call modern-day Turkey, but in the far north parts, and, and, and the Holy Spirit kept closing the doors. And finally, Paul had that Macedonian vision that said, come on into Macedonia and help me. And they had to go across the Aegean Sea to get into Europe for the first time. And they would have never done that if God's answer to their prayer had been yes. At least not this trip. We've already seen the Apostle James killed for the faith. I'm sure when Stephen was being threatened and stoned, the church was avidly praying for him that we're watching. Paul and Peter and the others as well. But I want to talk to you about some friends of ours that 
several of us know, some know really, really well. Michael and Tammy Hurley and others. Richard and Connie Light are dear friends of ours. Their daughter is Alicia, and Richard is a former elder at the White House Church of Christ, our good brothers and sisters just to the south of us. And Richard has been struggling with cancer, and we've had him on our prayer list, and we've made announcements about that. And they had some more doctor's visits and even surgery this week, and they wrote this in the last couple of days. Dr. Choi recommended palliative care to help manage symptoms. We were able to talk to the palliative care team today, and their recommendation is aggressive symptom management with hospice care. Clearly, the answer to their prayers and to ours has been no. The prognosis is grim, and the time left is not long. But listen to what these people of faith say. Even though this news is devastating, we are not without hope. We continue to serve and praise an awesome God. Sometimes the answer to prayers, even fervent prayers, is no. Doesn't change the fact that he loves us. And they are exactly right. They're exactly right. Sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no. But in each of these, God has something better to grant than that for which the person was praying. We believe that. It's what happened with Paul. God's grace is sufficient. I'll hold on to that. It's what happened with that mission team. Who would have thought that we would be going into Europe and there find the, make, uh, build the church at Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and then down to the southern part of Greece, the, the province of Achaia, and go to Athens and all those idols and to Corinth, the center of sexual immorality, and build a strong church there. God had something better. Thirdly today, Jesus prayed. You've heard me say this many times. The most powerful biblical teaching on the command to pray is this. Jesus prayed. The Son of God prayed. If the Son of God prayed, how can I not? How can I not? Several examples of that on your outline. In Mark 1, it says Jesus got up early in the morning and prayed. Maybe you're a night person. Maybe you're a morning person. When do you pray? In Luke chapter 5, Luke says that Jesus often went to lonely places by himself and prayed. In chapter 6 of Luke, he stayed up all night praying, and then the next day he chose those 12 disciples of his to be apostles. In Luke 9, he was praying when they, he was transfigured before a few of the apostles. And then in, Axel, in Luke 11, he was praying, and the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, and that's... In Luke, the context of the Lord's Prayer. We see that prayer in John 17, that wonderful high priestly prayer. Again, Mark 14, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Praying and praying and praying and praying while the others slept. The most powerful biblical teaching on the command to pray, Jesus prayed. I believe in prayer. And lastly today, prayer affirms that we trust the Father. In God do we trust. Prayer affirms that we do, that we trust 
the Father. Again, that passage in Mark 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus trusted the Father. He trusted him so much he was willing to pray, Thy will be done, not mine. And in Luke 23 at the cross, just before his life left him, he prayed this prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, just as he had done his whole life. How do you know if you trust in God? We know we trust God when we can genuinely pray, thy will be done. Are you praying that about this election? I think it's okay for you to tell God what you think and who should win and who shouldn't win and all of that. That's fine. God already knows your thoughts on that, so you might as well tell him. But do you tell him that in the context of not my will but yours be done? And if it's your will that my team doesn't win, I'm okay with that because my trust is not in them. My trust is in you, God. We know we trust God when we can genuinely pray, thy will be done. This is one of the few times you'll ever see me include the exact same scripture in all of my sermon points. Did you catch it? Do you remember which one it was? The Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus' prayer. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if not, thy will be done. We can't say that this political election or anything else we're going through is more significant than what Jesus was facing that night. Yet he could still pray to the Father, not my will, yours. We know we trust in God when long before our lives are over, we can genuinely pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my children. Into your hands I commit my family. Into your hands I commit my health. Into your hands I commit the health of those that I love. Into your hands I commit the future of my children and my grandchildren. Into your hands I commit our nation. Into your hands, Father, I commit this election. Thy will be done. As we close today, I want to make this statement. A lot of people talk about the power of prayer, and I want you to know I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer because I believe in the power of God. And he's the one we pray to. And he's got this. And I don't know what it's going to look like necessarily. I just know that he's got this. I don't know what the election on Tuesday will bring us, and it's likely we may not even know who won for a while. It may feel like, will Bill's sermon ever end? Will we ever know who wins? But I do know this. Whatever happens, I'll be here next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and I will gather with my church family and I will celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, no matter who wins, no matter what the future looks like, no matter what the cost will be to do those things. That's what I'll be doing next Sunday. And whatever happens on Tuesday, my sermon next Sunday is already written. And it will affirm that God's plan for the years ahead is for the church, 
for this church to go forward in faith and in prayer and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's close this message with prayer. Oh God, we praise you as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the Prince of peace. We praise you as our God and creator. We praise you as our savior. We praise you as our sustainer. We praise you, Father, as the one who calls the shots, who puts rulers in power and, and takes them out, who does whatever is in your will to do. And so, Father, today we place our nation our communities, our state, into your hands. And we pray, Father, today, may your will be done. Father, we pray for the wonderful people in this nation that will keep us going in the difficult days ahead, just as they have so far. Our amazing medical professionals in the midst of a pandemic that just seems to not be getting any better our incredible law enforcement and their families who put their lives on the line every single moment of every day, not knowing what the next moment will bring. And yet there they are, and we're so thankful. For our elected and appointed officials and leaders, Father, we pray. We pray for them, the ones we agree with, the ones we don't. We pray for their safety. We pray for their commitment, Father, to serve serve you first of all and then to serve this nation and the communities where they are and so father again we pray we pray may your will be done and may we live and act in love and faith and prayer so that others around us will be brought closer to you in jesus name we pray What we want for this country and have wanted since its inception is a more perfect union. It's not perfect by any stretch. But we pray for God to make it a more perfect union. We pray for God to make it possible that in this nation and in all nations there will be liberty and justice for all. And that's what we want. But we also know in this world, It will be less than perfect at best. And so tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. This morning, let's stand and sing our song together.